Free Your Inner Guru is a listener-supported show. Supporting the podcast is also designed to support you by keeping the episodes free of ads, but also with rewards for your donation like the Free Your Inner Guru guidebook, a private listener forum, and live monthly Q&A sessions. To become a supporting member, you can visit patreon.com forward slash free your inner guru. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. The purpose of this podcast is to share big conversations and stories of life, business, and how we can show up as conscious leaders and have an impact in the world. Our guest this week is Martha Henderson. Martha is an Olympian, keynote speaker, and the host of the Rising Tide Speaker Series. Against all odds, Martha represented Canada with her sailing team at the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. As an Olympian, the pursuit of excellence is is in her blood. She's known for inspiring beliefs that you can achieve outcomes far beyond your expectations. In this conversation, Martha shares her roller coaster ride to the 2008 Olympics at the age of 40, including what happened when her worst nightmare came true. She also talks about why she used to suppress her Olympic experience and why she now shares her story. Martha's journey is a story of resilience and reinvention, and I know you're going to love it. Make sure you listen to the end for information and a special early bird code for the upcoming Rising Tide Speaker Series in Toronto on October 22nd. Martha and I will both be there with three other inspiring speakers. In the meantime, enjoy this fantastic conversation about where the real gold is really found. Welcome to the Free Your Inner Guru podcast, Martha. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Laura, very much. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, Martha, let's um, let's we're gonna have a big conversation today. I know it. Let's drop everyone into your story with a background of uh, of why sailing. And, uh, and, and why you chose uh, the Olympic journey? Well, it's sort of a, a long organic path into the Olympic journey. Um, my family had a cottage on Toronto Island, uh, spent summers there, moved over at the end of school and moved back on Labor Day every year. And really there wasn't much else to do. I'm that you were on the island. Uh, I had a lot of kids who were my age and they were uh, members of the Royal Canadian Yacht Club and so were we and all there was to do was to hang around and mess about in boats if I can quote the wind of the willows. Um, we had sailing school in the summer uh, and there was just a group of us who continued to sail and compete uh, individually and together for many many years. Uh, a few of my friends from that had gone into the Olympics prior to my um, foray into it. And I had sort of touched my toe in a couple of times. I, I had was asked by older people to sail with them and it just didn't feel right and seem right. And I didn't know these people very well. And uh, my dad, who is a two-time Olympian, kept telling me, no, that's not right. Or, you know, there's more disappointment in the Olympic um, sphere than there is glory. So don't go there at this point. Uh, and so I kind of put the Olympic dream in the back of my head. 
uh, and, but kept competing at a really high level. Uh, and, but then in 2000, uh, I was at the Olympics in Sydney volunteering and found out that the type of boat that I was competing in at a high recreation level was going to be in the 2004 Olympics. And I was standing on the dock watching those people that I had sailed with as a kid sail in from the, the last day of the, of the competition in Sydney and said, you know, if you're going to do this, you need to do this right now. And so I um, found the boat builder. He happened to be a longtime friend. We got a boat. I put together a team and launched it from there and just took charge of it. And so in 2000, then just to kind of position this in time, in terms of your life journey, how, how old were you at that point? What was your age? I was 32. You were 32. Mm-hmm. So you started your Olympic journey. Like to me, that sounds like that's quite a lot older than a typical, like, I don't know if we look at skiers or swimmers or hockey players who find out that they're playing their sport. Well, you were in there in the sport, but but in their teens and twenties, is, is that, is that even correct for me to say that? Is that much of a comparison? Yeah, it is. I mean, in most sports, you're done by 32, you're retired. Um, what was interesting was, is a parallel. Uh, I went to university with Marnie McBean, four-time Olympic gold medalist in rowing. And she retired in, in Sydney, her back she had a back spasm and actually couldn't compete. She qualified for the games and she was there. And so when I was starting my Olympic path, someone of the exact same age was retiring because her body gave out. Um, my journey was that I sailed at a very high level, kept it going for, um, for many, many years. I, I improved, I, competed, did as much as I possibly could at that level. And then when the opportunity afforded itself, I said, okay, let's take it. And sailing, you can compete at a high level older. There are people who are Olympic medalists who were in their fifties in sailing. They, most of them started in their Olympic journey a lot younger, but again, this was an opportunity that I felt I could take and I did. When we qualified for the Olympics in 2008, we didn't qualify for 2004. Um, the two other girls who were in on my team in my boat with me, one was 10 years younger and the other was 18 years younger. So it, I definitely was on the older scale of sailing, but it, there were others who were of the same age. I've heard you speak before live when you give your keynote and, and I know this was a sticking point along the way. Would you call it an obstacle? Would you call it a challenge? Would you call it a point of feedback from people who doubted? Like, how would you describe that as, as a, on your way or was it just noise? Um, no, in, in the, initially it wasn't noise. I, I was, I was told a lot of negative um, opinions, let's say from other people. And it was their opinion that I was either too old or too young. So my dad's opinion when I was 16 was that I was too young. At this point, other people were saying I'm too old. Others were saying I was too tall or too short or too fat or too thin. And it was a constant 
to message or to something. And that was the excuse that they were trying to give me to, to make me stop. Um, but really that was their, what I realized later on was that was their fear that was coming out that they were get, trying to give to me. And when I realized that it was their fear and not have anything to do with me, I just put it on the shelf and kept going again, because I was, when I was in the moment and we were in the um, competition timeframe, everybody was on the same journey and they, and everyone was, was figure, was having those types of messages. Uh, sailing is very much a gypsy lifestyle. It's not like swimming or uh, let's even say figure skating where you train and train and train in your local rink or local pool. And then you go off and do a competition. All of our training was away. It was external. We were traveling all the time. We did very little training at home. Um, most of it was on the road. And I was with women who um, had teenage children or had two-year-old children and they were playing cards or reading books over Skype with their kids to, to keep in contact. So there were a lot of people who had a lot of other, a lot of pressures, um, different, but similar. And we were all in, in the same path on the same journey. So we shared those like experiences, um, even, even though we came from very different places. So it sounds like you, when you were doing the thing, which in this case is sailing, you were surrounded by like-minded people and the input and, and like situated, right? Like the environment was full of people in similar, they might be different stage, different age, but I've got to think that that amount of training away from home is challenging to any kind of, you know, um, lifestyle, um, but then the feedback's coming in from people who are not in that environment. So kind of from the outside looking in. Exactly. And oftentimes I found myself um, wishing and, and hoping to be able to go away again, to get back into that like-minded sphere. Because when you would come home and hear these negative messages and the people who were doubting what you were doing it was very difficult to deal with. And it was like, I just want to go, I want to go again, even though you wanted to be with your family and friends and you miss those people who were vital in your life. Uh, you wanted to get on the road again so that you could just block the block, all the rest of it out. Is that common on uh, an Olympic journey as far as, again, like, thinking like other sports, say, you know, skiing or rowing, where their sports are somewhat dependent on geography as well, mm -hmm. right? And, and so they're, they're away during that time. And it's a, a, almost like a protective environment for that period of time. I think in some sports it is, I can't, I don't have a, a lot of insight into um, many of them, but with sailing for sure, we get to know the people who sail our type of boat better than we get to know our fellow countrymen, if you will, who are doing the same thing, but in different types of classes. Um, I think in a lot of other sports, they keep you away from the other nations. I've been told this by other um, Olympic athletes that they didn't necessarily get to know the, their other their competitors very well because they were kept away from them. Uh, we were 
together all the time with uh, the Australians who were very close friends. Um, the Americans, the, the Norwegians were our training partners. The South Africans became our training partners as well. And we, be, we became much closer friends with them than the other Canadians who were sailing different types of boats doing the same thing. That's, and I think that probably is more the exception than, than the rule. Right. Because when you're, when you're, I think when you're in, in, uh, in sailing, it's, it's about you and the boat and your body and your equipment doing the best that you can. Yes. You're positioning and competing against other people, but it's not like hand to hand. Like it's not, um, uh, like a tennis match where you're literally like trying to beat the other person across the net from you. We're racing against, um, anywhere from 15 to 40 boats at one time and so to focus in on one one individual another individual it doesn't happen it's not that's not what the sport is is made up of it's about um strategy and tactics and and the whole playing field um as opposed to one team or the other team so that that means that there there can be a camaraderie built without compromising your competitive edge and part of that is got to be um, negotiating mother nature, like oh, the, of the day you all have a common, um, challenge that isn't necessarily each other. Absolutely. And sometimes mother nature conspires to keep you together, which means that if there's no wind, you sometimes stay on shore for hours and hours. And what else do you do except play euchre with the other teams or if it's too windy and again what do you do or rainy or well if it's too windy and stormy you're stuck inside with these people so you got to get to know them <laughs> <laughs> so so i see a real theme of of community there mm-hmm. um, and i know that that's a big part of what you do now but before we get into the present day i'd love for you to share the story of what it was like for you to be at um, the Olympics and watching the other um, Olympians come into the stadium. So I think you're referring to the my 2004 experience. So our our main goal, our original my original goal when I started in 2000 was to qualify for the 2004 games. I gave myself that four year time frame because at that point I was going to be 36 and I, I, I thought I was going to be too old to keep going for a second quadrennial. So um, my main goal was to qualify in 2004, and we unfortunately we didn't do that uh we we just missed it and um my father was the head of the international sailing federation at the time and so i went to athens anyway as a spectator and as a um a volunteer in the vip um hospitality suite letting other people out on the water to watch their athletes and taking people to watch the um the games which is really disappointing for me because i really wanted to be competing so i went to the opening ceremonies and uh i'd been to about four other olympics before as a spectator so i knew what that was all about uh and was able to get myself into the front row and was super excited when 
uh, the first few teams came in, the Bermudians came in because there was a sailor carrying the flag and I knew him and I knew the other people and I'm cheering and shouting and, and so excited for them. And then, and then the Canadians came in and I saw the girls who had beat us and I just burst into tears, absolutely burst into tears, but I was cheering for them. So emotional, um, like the full gamut. A full gamut of being excited for them, but being so utterly gutted, not being a competitor myself and, and walking in um, was just heart wrenching. But the thing was, is that the camera people had seen this crazy woman with a Canadian flag cheering for the other teams and them responding to me. So they knew that I had some sort of connection to the athletes. And so when the Canadians came in, the television cameras panned to me, cheering on the team, but I'm crying my eyes out. So the, the, I have photographs and I was on television back in Canada uh, in, in the stands. And it was, it was just wild because I look at myself and I, I've got, I, I think I'm hysterical. <laughs> it's quite funny, but um, it, it, it was heart wrenching to um, watch them come in. And, and there was, again, there's a, uh, a lot of talk um, about athlete mental health and stuff uh, around um, post games and Clara Hughes does amazing stuff with uh, the Bell Let's Talk Day because there is a lot of uh, um, issues with mental health once um, a games or a competition or your, your sport career is over. And I definitely experienced that. Um, after 2004, I gained a lot of weight. I was depressed for some time. And then um, sort of spent some time talking to my coaches about what I was going to do moving forward. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I still couldn't tell you whether or not it was a good decision or a bad decision to go to 2004. I think I was able to help the Canadian team a little bit because I had a shared experience with them, but wasn't intimately involved with the, with the sailors um, in their actual competition. But I was uh a friendly safe space where I, we would go out after competition if they did well or did badly. Uh, I was able to help bring some equipment over that was needed from, for some of the guys beforehand. So I felt like I was a part of it uh, without actually being an official part of the team. So it's 2004. You've been on this roller coaster of emotion. Mm -hmm. And then was it, a given that you were going to go to 2008 at that point? What, Not at what all. That, what was that like? We sold the boats. We sold everything after 2004 because the two girls who were on my team at that time, uh, one was older than me. She was 40. And the other one was um, uh, two years younger, so 34. Both of them were in committed relationships and decided that they were uh, uh, getting married and having kids, which I supported. I thought that was great for them. Uh, but I wasn't in a relationship. I didn't have, um, and they also had jobs to go back to. I had quit my job. I had, um, uh, moved back in with my parents and didn't have, uh, I, I didn't have a, a life ready made to go back into. And, and they did, one was a lawyer. One had just taken a leave from her job and they had lives to go back to. So they chose to do that, which was great. But um, 
so we sold everything and got rid of everything. And then it was really up to me to decide what it was I wanted to do. Um, I was, I was embarrassed that we hadn't qualified. So it took me a long time to go back to my sailing club. And when I went, finally got the courage to go back, uh, you know, the universe does great things because they put, um, there was a guy who was there who I hadn't seen in a number of years. He was a two-time Olympian and he asked me what I was going to do. And I said, I I didn't know. Uh, And he said, well, if you are doing this just for the two weeks of the games, then don't do it. He said, but if you loved the day-to-day, the training, the journey, the travel, the, the relationships that you have and you're, that you gained and what you're going to gain potentially moving forward, then that should be your motivation. So I took that advice and I really thought about it and said, listen, this is what I love to do. This is what I, I love the people. Um, right now they're my family and my social sphere. And, um, and then my boat builder called me and said, well, the Spanish team has just released their rights on uh, a boat that is sitting in the mold waiting for you. If you want it, it's yours, but you need to take it now. And so I, with those two things, in the balance, I said, okay, we're going to go forward. I had to rebuild the team completely from scratch, buy the boat, uh, get the crew together, and then really start the plan all over again from complete scratch. But I was armed with the learning and the journey from the four years previous. So uh, put that into place and and went for it. And we then qualified for, for 2008 and it was spectacular. So I want to come back around to that because that feels like the pinnacle, but I also want to go back to something that you just said that I think happens to a lot of people. Um, it's, it's like feeling like you're starting all over again, you know, the, the reboot on something or a reboot on yourself. And, uh, and what brings this to mind is having rebooted a number of times myself and just yesterday, I saw a friend of mine who is, um, I just saw a, a post on social media and she called herself, like it's time for Nina 5.0 and was, was writing about, you know, here we go again and sharing some of her, her thoughts on that. And, um, and this whole concept of reinvention. And I recall at one of my reinvention points, um, saying, and it was actually the reinvention point just prior to coming back to Toronto uh, and starting as a coach and leaving my consulting business where I said to my coach, I'm starting from ground zero again. And that coach took me by the shoulders figuratively because we were on the phone and he was, and, and he pointed out with such force, you are never at ground zero look at all of your accumulated experience, wisdom, uh, knowing that you didn't have and was able to, to demonstrate the con the contrast. So did, did that knowing help you in, in your, you know, this Olympic reboot of yours? Absolutely. I, I had, um, 
the past experience formulated my decision-making for the next four years. So I, what I had to put when I, because I had to rebuild the team, I needed to find the people that I, who were going to actually fit not only with the talent of sailing, but being able to handle the international travel, be able to handle the being away from family and friends for a long time. Um, and it's, it takes a certain person to do that. Uh, and I think that when, in, in the, the first journey, I, I didn't know what type of person I needed. I was lucky that the people who came along that, that we put together had those same, the same goals, but I didn't know that in, in the beginning. So in the second iteration, people were suggesting people to sit for me to sail with or someone I should try. Oh, you should have this person come in and sail with you. They would be great. They're very talented. And then I, we, I'd sail with them a little bit or I'd uh, talk to them. It's like, yeah, they, they don't have the, um, the resilience and the, um, uh, the ability to be away from, from home or, or um, the focus to complete the journey. And so, yes, all of the tools that I had in my toolbox from uh, fun, where to get funding, um, right personalities, places to stay, people that we got to know, all those different things. Yeah, it was it, it felt like I was starting from zero. But then once I got into it, I realized that I had so much more available to me because of the experience I had had in the past. So you built your team. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you are an Olympian. We know that. Um, what was that journey like? Well, it it was it was fraught with a lot of ups and downs because I think anybody everybody who's who's had to public speak or tried anything, you have your deepest fear or your worst nightmare. Oh my God, what if I? like as Jennifer Lawrence did getting her Academy Award tripped as she went up the stairs. Like, like when you, you have those, those like sort of like um, breathtaking away type fears. And I had that. Not the good, not the good kind of breathtaking. Not the good. It was like, oh, um, so my biggest fear was that um, I was going to fall overboard and and lose our trials because I fell off the boat and a lot of that had to that fear came from um the fact that I um have always struggled with my body image my weight um and I had uh, this vision of me being kind of this whale type thing (laughs) flopping in the water uh and, and and losing the uh, Olympic trials because of, of a physical inability or because of my weight. Well, I did fall overboard in the um, world championships that was our trials. My um, uh, hiking apparatus, the thing that kept me in the boat, let go. And I did a perfect flip, backflip out of the boat because we, and we were in, in the top five in that race and we were doing really well at all of a sudden I 
my hook got caught and it it re released it and I sploosh and I'm like uh all of those nightmares just came into reality and so we we got me back into the boat and we ended up finishing seventh in that race and we and we we qualified even with the nightmare happening like so the absolute worst thing that I could have ever pictured happening happened but we still qualified oh that's what a, that's amazing like that's a huge like it can happen it can't happen. I think we want the fairy tale where it, um, where it never happened. I had these fears. It didn't come and I didn't have to deal with that. And that happy ending. Yes. And, and one of our, one of our, um, so your the boat, the mast that holds the sails up, one of the wires that, um, held the sails up broke before the first race. So we actually missed the first race of our trials because we had to get that fixed. And so we went back out and sailed the second race with a, a borrowed piece of equipment. Um, and then three races later, I fall overboard. So all these disastrous things happened in the trials and we still qualified. So I'm not gonna tell you that your worst fears aren't gonna come true, but your worst fears could come true and the, the greatness can still happen. I think there's a choice in that moment, isn't there? There is. So what's what's the choice? The choice is whether or not it's going to let you, it's going to defeat you, or you're just going to say, accept it, it happened, and just keep going. Because if it's happening to you, it happens to everybody else. It can happen to everybody else, too. So you, if you are allow those, those things, those fear moments hold you back, you're just putting yourself behind all those, everybody else who's having the same fear moments, but are pushing themselves forward. So despite the broken and borrowed piece of equipment, despite person overboard mm -hmm. or Martha overboard, you and your team rally, you got it out mm -hmm. and, and you qualify. Yes. How did that feel? The qualification was hard fought and took a while to come. So we had to wait to be told by the International Federation that we had um, qualified and, and that we had a spot. It came about a month afterwards and it was a phone call that we got. And when it came in, it was all of a sudden, we had to go into full gear to, get the boat to China that we almost didn't have, there wasn't a celebration moment. It was like, okay, go, it's go time. So we didn't sort of have a party or cheer or whatever. It's like, well, now what's, what do we do now? We have to get the boat to China. We have to get ourselves there. We, um, we have to do a fundraising event, blah, 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 blah. And, and it was just a full on push. So, I don't actually remember having much of a celebration moment because there was so much to do as soon as we got the nod that I, I felt like literally I was um, uh, uh, in a car and I was stalled and then, and then the foot had to push on the gas pedal and you just went. So it, it wasn't like, woohoo, we're going to the Olympics. Yay. It's great. It was like, this is game time. We have to go. And it, the, the, the focus went from, wait to, to 60 in, in no time. Mm. 
And, uh, and so you got to China mm-hmm. and you competed. Yes. And take share some of the, mo- the, the, the memorable moments from, from that experience. So the sailing was in uh, a place called Qingdao, which was 700 kilometers north and east of Beijing. So we arrive and immediately go to Qingdao. We weren't in Beijing at all. Uh, the sailing competition started mm, less than 12 hours after the closing, the, sorry, the opening ceremonies. So we didn't, we didn't go. Uh, sailing being a remote venue had its own opening ceremonies. So we did that, but we, we weren't, we weren't in Beijing for the opening. We watched on TV and I actually fell asleep part way through the opening <laughs> ceremonies because we had to compete the next day. So, um, it, it was very cool because it sailing was in its own venue, its own village. So there were only 400 people who were doing what we were doing at that point in the world. And, I, so that was, that was kind of a, a moment for me. And when we got to China was when I started to take a deep breath and understand the, the, the specialness of, uh, of, of the experience. Um, I had, as I said before, I, I'd been to a couple of Olympics and at every games you get um, passes or accreditations and the accreditations have uh, letters on them to signify what your role or purpose at the games are. And I always had guest or spectator or something along those lines. And when I got the, the pass that said athlete on it was, was a moment, uh, a, a tears, emotion. I allowed myself to have those moments because I knew that it was special. I'd seen other people in the past who, you know, try to keep the specialness of it out and didn't cope with the um, the competition because it, it the, the pressure of it starts to weigh very heavy. Um, I allowed myself to to understand the the specialness externally, but then when get it, I got on the water, it was like okay, this is this is what we do, right? So um, uh, that the the fact that there were only four hundred of us there, um, we started talking to everybody, even people you'd never met before, because everybody, it's a shared experience. So at the first day, we were the first boat on the water, first event of the Olympics. And um, uh, after the first day, we were second in second place. Uh, I had no idea that that was uh, where we were. I my, my, my role on the boat doesn't necessarily allow, allow me to look around when we're finishing. I have to, I had to focus very hard. And so I had no idea how we did. And uh, people were coming up to us, like guys who had won medals and, and had, had uh, uh, majored international championships. And they were asking us, oh, well, well, how did you do? And how did you do what you did? And what were the conditions like? People who never we'd never spoken to before. And I'm like, why is everybody talking to us? Like, I had no idea. I had, I had absolutely no idea. I, I know we did well. I had known we'd done well, but um, uh, then I went and, and saw the results board, which I don't normally look at and because uh, it would make me nervous. And my coach said, no, no, you need to see this. And we being second, we were the top performing team individuals of the entire Canadian team. We were a highlight on CBC and sailing is never on television. So all these, we start, I start getting 
Facebook messages and, and messages from people uh, saying, we just saw you on TV. What's like, you're, you're doing really well, blah, blah, blah. So, and, and I found out after the fact that there was a lot of people back at home at the bar of our sailing club and, and all over watching that. It was, it was to, afterwards to come home and to, to know how many people were a part of our journey and who were there with us without us even knowing was really special. Mm. You just made me tingle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, so that's like the, is that the, is that the peak? Like what, uh, what happened the remainder of the competition? Yeah, the remainder of the competition, we didn't do as well, Um, which again, with the Olympics, it's, it's all or nothing. You either medal or you don't. It's insignificant, really, if fourth and below, which is too bad, um, because, because top five in the Olympics is pretty spectacular. And if you were top five in a world championship, it, it, that would be um, considered as is as an, a remarkable achievement, but most people don't consider anything outside of the medals in in the Olympics to be uh, anything noteworthy. At least in my world, um, and my world being that we went to the Olympics, and so we were we ended up thirteenth. Uh, and you know, I I my coaches were Olympic medalists. I know people who were fourth at the Olympics, and they're truly disappointed in being fourth. And so I was 13th and my frame of reference at that point was, well, that's not really noteworthy and nobody really wants to hear about someone who was 13th. So I actually didn't talk about it to anybody for a very long time. Uh, I, I would talk about it with the other people who were there, but when somebody said, would say that, oh, oh, you went, oh, you went to the Olympics? I would say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, it was fine. And, and almost walk away from the con- conversation. Um, it wasn't until about 10 years afterwards when I started to really embrace the journey of, of what we'd accomplished and understood that the real value was in the relationships that we built in the experiences that we um, that we gained, and that that it that my life is so much more enriched by as a result of the experience, and just putting myself out there and doing something that was completely outside of anything that anybody else had done, that I started to see the value in it. It speaks to this all or nothing culture that we find ourselves in. Don't you think more gently? Like, I understand what you're saying about within the sailing community and, and growing up around Olympic medalists. And, and, you know, that's certainly not my experience. I don't think that's most people's experience. I think the general population, if, if that's how I categorize myself for this conversation, is, is impressed by Olympian. Mm-hmm. Because because we're we're so not, um, but I think it it's really worth looking at in in other contexts as well. Like you think about um, like defining defining success as having to be the the winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. So again, I think that everybody had 
if we could take a look, take, remove the word Olympian and say, what is that? Olympian is just another word for expert. So it's someone who has done dedicated um, a lot of time and energy to one singular thing and, uh, and, and have, and has achieved beyond or, and there are people in almost every walk of life um, uh, who, who are experts in what it is that they do. And I think in everybody's life, you are an expert in something, um, whatever it is that you, you work at or you focus on or, or, or play at, you are an expert in that. And the Olympics or sport has this grand stage that is identifiable with a lot of people. It's on television, it's bright, it's glitzy. Uh, but I think that that sometimes people don't respect or, or see the value in their own experience and their own contribution to whatever it is that they're a part of uh, because it isn't glitzy and on TV and everybody can see you. Um, I find that, you know, when I talk to people these days, they go, oh, you do something, you did something that was pretty spectacular. I'm like, yeah, well, because you can see it. Like, but in their life, I mean, you, Laura, um, have had your own great experiences in, as a, as a coach, I would say you're an expert in that. Um, there isn't an Olympics for, for coaching or for people who do podcasts, right? It's, yeah, there, there, there are, again, the, there's not a stage for it. And because there's a stage for this, uh, people see that. I, I do get asked a lot by kids, do you, did you win a medal and did you win? And when I say no, they kind of scoff and turn around and walk away. And I'm like, hmm, that's funny. <laughs> it's like, laugh. how can I, yeah, it's almost like, how can I tell the story of what it really means to, and I think, and I, th- well, I think you do tell that story super well, right? But, but, you know, distilling that down because I think there's so much wisdom, not, not just for the kids, for the grownups too, right. as far as the, the de- I think it's the, the dedication, the resilience, all those, um, certainly less sexy than winning, mm-hmm. but in most contexts, there being one winner and a whole bunch of not winners is, is not conducive to optimal results overall you think business like it um, you go into negotiation an ideal situation is where you're looking for for a win or value on both sides Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a it's a different mindset and a different um awareness of of what's truly valuable here um you were saying before we got in on you know just about this idea of you know win or you know, or medal or not medal, win or heaven forbid, lose. This, this, the striving for excellence. Yeah, yeah, and I believe that that. The, and again, I'm I'm very not a proponent of of a participation ribbon because I do believe that um, the striving for excellence and doing, giving your all and giving your best in whatever it is that you're doing is. Uh, it, it, is so key and so critical because again, the ribbon doesn't matter. It's how you feel that you have presented yourself. And I know that I gave absolutely everything I possibly could for, for that Olympic moment. Um, And it's, however, in now I also 
frame my evaluation of what I've done and what I do in the framework of have I given everything I possibly can to it? And if I have, and it wasn't perfect, then is that okay? And I was like, yeah, that is okay. Because you can't always control everything to, for, for that, 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 that dream of perfection. It's about doing everything you can to the best that you can um, with the circumstances you have going on around you. Like when, with our Olympic trials, we did the best that we absolutely could, but our shroud, our, our, our piece of equipment broke and I fell overboard. You couldn't control those things. Um, those were fluke things that happened and yeah, it, it was, um, but we did absolutely everything we can could to put that best foot forward. Um, and in the Olympics, did we put everything we could into the the effort? Yeah, and we were thirteenth when when you're when we were at that level. Someone described it as um, everyone is perfect. It's just you have to be more perfect than everybody else at every turn. And if on you're, that day, on that day, um, and so if you're you're perfect, how can you chastise yourself for being? anything less because someone else was just did that much better that's okay to me that was that was okay we did everything we possibly could and so now in I look at you know if if everyone is people need to be satisfied in their effort and if they're not I think you have to view it through the lens of whether or not you were um doing everything that you could do to make it, make it good and make yeah. it better. Like, was I showing up? Was it, were you showing up? Yeah. You know, am I showing up? Yeah. And, and you know, I, it strikes me that in the Olympic environment, you were, you were using, you know, perfection is the goal and it's at a very elite level. Um, my sense is that perfection may not translate all that well outside of that environment. Cause we can see a lot of, sometimes the perfection, the paralysis that can come with perfection. Have you had any experience with that? Did that play out for you at all? Um, yeah, I deal with it all the time because I'm a perfectionist, but you, you, the, it's about viewing it through a different lens. Is like, is the perfection, is the, the desire to be perfect holding you back from actually achieving? And is perfection really needed in that situation Mm. so do you need to be perfect in order to um uh, I, i i like to cook it's another another aspect of me that i love to cook and does it does everything i make have to be perfect or can something be a flop and be okay it's like yeah sure that's fine um is I, I've described my personality or actually my personality was described to me as fire ready aim, meaning I jump into things and then I plan and has that been successful all the time? No, but has it given me some great learnings and provided me with some great experiences and, you know, allowed me to do some, some really cool things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that, that, there is a paralysis and perfection, but 
but there is also, um, if you're looking to strive and to do really well and not be held back by perfection, I think it can work both ways. Mm. So you said uh, when, when you were relating that you had been quiet about the Olympic experience for about 10 years, I did the math. Beijing was 2008. Yes. 10 years was 2018. It was, last was year. a year ago. Yep. Um, bring us up to the future. What, what changed? Why did you start talking about it? And, and, and what are you doing now with, with your message and your story? Well, I started to work with a coach. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks. I started to work with a coach used because I was I was floundering a bit in what my personality and identity was and who I was showing up as. Um, and if I haven't said, Laura, you're my coach, so maybe people should know that Laura was my coach. <laughs> I was not aiming for that, Martha. But yeah, I know you're but super amazing. <laughs> it was a it 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 was a I was in trying to suppress the Olympic journey and the Olympic story was. Um, preventing me from being authentic out in what I was doing uh, and where I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. And, and with, with my life and with the, I love building communities. I love rallying with people and creating um, great experiences and environments for everybody. Uh, I, I've always sailed as a team. I sailed like two or three events in, in a boat where you sail by yourself, a single, they call it a single-handed boat. And I hated it because I had nobody to talk to and nobody to collaborate with and nobody to rise up together with. I didn't like it. And I'm a terrible singer. So singing to myself was just not fun. So um, it, it was, I didn't enjoy the experience. So when I started to explore the, um, all of the elements that went into the Olympic journey, I actually started to realize that it, it had value because it, it was a relatable story for people in any situation who have to reinvent themselves and, or who have had an experience and aren't really sure about what that did for them but looking back on all the things that have contributed to uh, that experience and, and the success of moving forward, I felt it was a story to share. So now I run a, a, a speaker series, motivational speaker series um, under a banner called Rising Tides, because again, it's a rising tide lifts all boats. And uh, together, we, we, I believe that sharing experiences and sharing uh, any challenges and any successes can ultimately raise everybody up. So I, I'm, I'm a keynote speaker. Uh, the title of the keynote speech is where the gold really lies, which in my mind is in the journey, uh, and in the, the, the life, uh, altering experiences and the friends and relationships that we make along the way, uh, as well as uh, the motivational speaking events called the rising tide speaker series. So if you had to sum it up in say a minute or two, mm -hmm. so, um, 
what would you say is your key message? What do you want people to know? My key message goes back to the advice that I was given in 2004 when we didn't qualify, is that the importance is in the journey. It's in what you do every day to um, either make yourself better or contribute to the community. Uh, That is where the gold really lies. You can have uh, a medal around your neck or a um, big trophy on your mantelpiece or a lot of money in your bank. But if you don't appreciate and embrace the journey and the value of the people that you meet along the way, then it's, it's quite hollow. Martha, thank you so much for coming on here and, and sharing these uh, nuggets of, of wisdom. Um, you've had quite a journey and, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it all goes from here. So we've got the Rising Tide speaker series, which I will share links to. There's events coming up once a quarter, currently in Toronto, and who knows what the future holds. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Martha is always uh, available to speak. So I will leave links to your information in the show notes, as I do with every episode Thank you so much for coming on and sharing um, your story, your challenges, your um, big events, and and the wisdom that you have to gained from it all. Oh, thanks, Laura. It was really a lot of fun. I enjoyed being here. Before we finish, I did promise information about the upcoming Rising Tide Speaker Series in Toronto on October 22nd. The event is at a central location just south of Young and St. Clair. And if you go to risingtides.ca slash events or simply follow the link in the show notes, you'll see that I'll be joined there by three other speakers that evening and Martha, who's hosting. The speakers include Sean Prue, a former guest on the all-time most listened to episode of the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. And as a listener of the podcast, you can use the code EARLYBIRD up to September 30th to receive $10 off your ticket for this great evening of inspiration, gourmet food, and fantastic networking. As always, reviews of the podcast are a cause for celebration, and I'm grateful for the enthusiastic support you give to the show. Finally, Martha graciously mentioned that I'm her coach. And if you would like to explore coaching with me, visit lauratucker.com slash leadership coaching for more information and an opportunity to request an initial conversation with me. Until next time, I'm Laura Tucker signing off for free your inner guru.